0: One of the interesting things about Anglicans and all liturgical folk is that um, we don't sing Christmas carols until Christmas. (laughs) Up to that point, we sing Advent hymns. Advent is not the same thing as Christmas. Um, In fact, Advent's not the same thing as Christmas any more than Lent is the same thing as Easter. Many people in our culture really don't get that. And I think the reason they don't get Advent is because they don't understand Christmas. They don't understand what this is all about. And as much as we hate to admit it, we all know the truth. And that is that Christmas has been hijacked. It has been uh, just completely almost taken over in the culture. And maybe we would rightly say that the December 25th celebration maybe is a taking back. You know, um, a- ancient Christians took a-, a-, a celebration that went on among pagan peoples and, and Christianized it so that they could teach Uh, people about the true light of the world. And so maybe I guess someone would say, you know, the December 25th thing is just sort of taken back, but we'll get to that at some other day. The thing that I think surprises us is the language. Here's the reason why this little sleight of hand works. It's like a little shell game because the language is all the same. We use the right language. Everybody says it, Merry Christmas and so on, and businesses are closed for Christmas and government offices are shut down for Christmas and schools are out for Christmas – but almost none of that has anything to do with Christ. It has something to do with something else. You know, whatever else it is, it's not really about Christ. Even the culture has songs about Christmas that have almost nothing to do with Christ or the Mass. And so it's the, the, the Mass for Christ becomes sort of a, another word. It, it, it has completely different meaning. And so the calendar gets kind of messed up. Advent, or let me start with this, Christmas for Christians, begins on December 25th and goes for 12 days through January the 5th. That's Christmas. But in the culture, Christmas begins, well, it used to begin the day after Thanksgiving. Did you notice this year that there were these big sales on Thanksgiving Day? I mean, on Thanksgiving Day, to lure would-be gratitude givers into consumer, you know, stuff getters. You know, it's like they completely turned the whole thing on its head. And you know where this is going, right? I mean, I telegraphed this punch way ahead. So you should, that Christmas is not about pajamas or waffle irons or diamond rings or or blue jeans. So, you know, I mean, you knew that that was coming. You knew I was going to get there. Of course it isn't. But as I said a moment ago, Advent is not Christmas. So what is Advent? Before I get there, though, just a disclaimer. Um, In our home, in the Boisel home, on December the 25th of this year, I expect that it will be like December 25th of all previous years in my recollection, that there will be an evergreen tree with pretty low packages underneath it, and people will get up and tear open. There will be presents, and there will be waffle irons and blue jeans and no diamond rings. I assure you that. (laughs) Let's keep that our secret, all right? Um. Not that I want to be a Scrooge. I mean, that's not, that's not the point here today. Not that I want to, to do that. I don't want to go there. My point, of course, is that Christmas is not about stuff. And Advent is not the same thing as Christmas. And the problem is, is that Madison Avenue has played this shell game with us and we just kind of got lost in the, in the language. We got lost in the movement. And so I hear this question like you hear. Are you ready for Christmas? And the readiness Has all to do with the destination, doesn't it? I mean, if readiness is about gift giving, then preparedness is about shopping. But if readiness is about something else, then preparedness is about something else as well, isn't it? Advent is not about shopping, it's about waiting. And here's something that's really ironic Christmas is not about giving, it's about receiving. No, that can't be, can it? I, I don't think that's possible. It doesn't compute. The thing that we need to get in our, fixed in our minds is the destination. What is it we're waiting for? And then that changes Advent. How then should we wait? For a long time, I, I've always found it surprising that the story of John the Baptist appears in the second and third weeks of Advent. John the Baptist, you may know, is a contemporary of Jesus That is, when we read the stories of John the Baptist, we're reading about a full-grown man, and Jesus is at the same time a full-grown man himself. We are are recognizing Jesus as a fully-grown adult for two weeks before we celebrate his birth. It seems like an anachronism, like the time is kind of messed up. And if you look at Mark's gospel, he launches right in... With, the, with John the Baptist. He goes right... Did you even hear the, the way that Mark began his gospel? The very first word. He, in the English translation, the beginning of the good news. But in Mark's gospel, written in Greek, the very first word is beginning. Beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Beginning. And then, just a couple sentences later, guess where you are? You're with John the Baptist, a full-grown man, baptizing people in the river. Five verses later, verse 9 of uh, of Mark's first chapter, just a few sentences in, you have Jesus, a full-grown man, being baptized by John. But Mark does have a little sleight of hand of his own. I think maybe he was ready for Madison Avenue way before they were ready for themselves. Mark, in his very first beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it has been written, or as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Mark goes in an instant... In reverse, 700 years. He has no nativity scene. He has no, um, no shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. There's no angels singing. There's no star. Mark jumps right into John the Baptist and Jesus as an adult, but he does very quickly take us to the prophet Isaiah. Immediately, he moves to Isaiah like the, like the beginning is somewhat of a moving target. See, here's the thing. Mark says you can't talk about Jesus without talking about John the Baptist. And you can't talk about John the Baptist without talking about Isaiah. And you can't talk about Isaiah without talking about the entire history of the people of Israel. Because this is the story of God's saving act. This is what God wants to do. He wants to save all of humanity, in fact, all of creation. And He wants to do this through the family of a man called Abraham who becomes the people of Israel. But before we can even get to Isaiah, just a slight sketch. A thousand years before Jesus was born, David was king in Israel. David did what nobody else could do. He brought together all these tribes that were sort of a federation. He made them into a nation, and he made this nation powerful. He, uh, they, they secured the land. Power and wealth and and prestige in the world became as great as it ever had been for Israel. And then following David, his son Solomon went from good to great. I mean, things became solidified under Solomon, but he had this real problem with idolatry. And he infected the nation with this problem. And not long after Solomon, the nation divided, disintegrated into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom thoroughly ramped with idolatry. And in the year 722, they were destroyed by a northern uh, country, Assyria. People were taken into exile. And ten tribes were uh, effectively wiped off the face of the earth. The southern kingdom held on for another 150 years, but eventually the Babylonians did the same thing to them. And here you have uh, the very small remnant of Israel living in Babylonian exile as, as sort of ghetto dwellers trying to hold on to national identity. And it seemed like God had given up on Israel, that he had just simply, this is it, no more, the, the, it's over. And, and there was this great sense of despair. And that's where Isaiah's prophecy, will you look at in the bulletin with me at Isaiah for just a moment? To people who are living in exile, people who are living as those who believe that God had given up on them, listen to the very first words that come out of the prophet's mouth in the 40th chapter. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Her warfare is ended. Hey, this is good news, isn't it? If you're an exile living in a Babylonian uh, city. And you're in a ghetto. You think God has given up on you. This is good news. God has not, in fact, given up on Israel. And then look at verse 3. A voice cries, "In the wilderness, prepare a way of the Lord." Who is this voice? We don't know. There's just this voice out there crying. Get ready. He's coming. The voice cries out again. Slide down um, a few verses. Verse six. A voice cries. A voice says, "Cry!" And I say, "What shall I cry?" The voice is out there in the wilderness. Get ready. Cry out. Guess what? Verse 9, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, look at this. Behold your God. Not a God. Not somebody. Your God. He himself is coming. Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is coming to Jerusalem. This has got to be great news. So back to Mark. What does Mark do? He doesn't give us a nativity scene. He doesn't give us a baby in a manger. He gives us John the Baptist. And Mark says, what do you see in this man in the wilderness? Because what I see is Isaiah chapter 40. I see what God had predicted 700 years before happening right here with this man. And if you see this, what's coming next? God Himself is coming. The Creator God, Yahweh, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. He Himself is coming. And what does John the Baptist say? There's one coming after me. I am not qualified. This is what he says. I am not qualified to bend down and untie his shoe. Mark says, get ready. He's coming. Now here's a little bit of truth telling. I love gift giving. I'm kind of crazy about. It. I don't really care about gift giving. I'm not. I don't know why. I mean, I just give gifts myself. Um, but when I, when I, I love to give people gifts. I mean, I, I really do. I, I'm not a big fan of shopping, but I do like to kind of go out and get stuff and and wrap it myself. You know, I, I don't. I don't even use the, you know, the things at the store. I should, but I don't because I like wrapping it and I like giving it and I love watching someone I have bought a gift for open it. I mean, it's thrilling to me. And so. I love Christmas. I do. I I prepare for it. I look forward to it. I'm, I'm getting ready for it. But that's not what Advent is about, is it? Advent is about getting ready to meet God. So what is Christmas about? It's about getting ready and meeting God. Being present with Him. Suppose this morning, instead of a preacher with fine robes, they're not really that fine, they're pretty cheap, really. Um, You have a guy here with a hand-cut leather from a camel, you know? Just raw and gritty. Instead of a nice rope, it's tied with a leather strap, you know? Maybe some skin showing under there, you know? And instead of this finely groomed hair that's quickly graying, um, you have instead uh, you have this guy who looks like he never sat in a barber chair in his life, you know, hair going everywhere. And when he opens his mouth, you know, there are little, little insect legs. You know, he ate locusts. Oh, I think there's something in your tooth there, you know, you might say. His breath sort of smells like wild honey. And he says to you, and he says to me, Get ready. He's coming. We might think, oh my word. Are you insane? Are you mad? (laughs) Get ready. He's coming. Turn. Repent. Get ready. Make everything right because the Lord himself, the creator God, is coming. I read a story about uh, John and Lisa Henderson of Hurricane Utah this week. Uh, John and Lisa have three children, uh, 11, 8, and 5. And um, they talked about how their children are a handful, like all children, you know. They're boisterous and rowdy and mean to one another. And and they're like all suburban children, you know, well cared for, well loved. They've never known a day in their life of hardship, um, never known subsistence living. Uh, Their mother says they have lots of stuff, probably too much stuff. And John and Lisa noticed uh, here recently that their children had been especially misbehaved. You know, they just had really turned up the notch of, of poor behavior. They complained a lot. They felt entitled. They were cruel to their siblings. And so um, they really were getting to the end of it. They also realized, you know, these children were demanding and, and all these sorts of things, disrespectful. So they made a decision. They told their children about their decision. This year there would be no presents for any of them, zero, zilch, nada, none. And you can imagine an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old, there was wailing and gnashing of teeth, you know. There was, oh, please, we'll she will get better. We promise we will. They wailed, and, and mom and dad remained firm, no. In fact, they took the money that they would have spent on their children and bought, um, bought all sorts of food and, and hygiene supplies and gave it to a local homeless shelter. And told them, there is no more money. We're, this is it. We spent that part of the budget. It's gone. And Lisa wrote about this in her blog. And some of the parents wrote back and said, I think you're doing a fantastic thing. You know, this is great. You're teaching your children a really valuable lesson. One they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And some wrote, I can't believe you're so cruel. You're taking the magic away from Christmas. You know, you've ruined it for all of them. And as I read that story, I thought, you know, there are many times where I certainly have felt the same way about my children. But. I could have never, I could not do that, not because of them, but because of me. I I had to watch him open that fire truck, you know. I mean, I wanted to see that. Then I wondered how different their Advent and Christmas would be. And I wondered how they would prepare differently. And I wondered what that said to me about Advent and Christmas and the way I prepare. And I don't know if I have an answer but I certainly do think it's a question worth considering. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.